Volume Two, Chapter Sixteen of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter Sixteen. Tis fable there are fruits with tempting rhymes that are all dust and rottenness within. Wouldst thou I should strip such? Coleridge. From Hubert Damoreau to Frederick Ruthven. March 25th. Ah, oh, Fred, the deuce take the sex. They are doomed to be my eternal curse, my bane and antidote, as Plato has it. Except that just at this present confoundedly unpleasant moment, they are all bane. And a less hopeful disposition than my own would see no prospect of an antidote. For the last two months I have been fate's football, and it is to be hoped that the fickle jade will soon be tired of buffeting me about the ears of disappointment. What think you? Amy, the mild, the gentle, the yielding, devoted, loving Amy, Amy, who in one short fortnight was to pronounce the happy yes, which made her agreeable possessions, and her by no means disagreeable self mine. Amy has, in one execrable word, the little witch has jilted me. Impossible, you think. What woman would have the courage to jilt the irresistible Colonel Damoreau? So thought I. But this little feminine icicle has actually had the necessary audacity, although I may be hanged to a beanpost for an infernal fool if she holds to her determination. She shall be my wife yet, or she will be the first woman who could withstand my persuasions. But then the others have always been wooed to commit some little imprudence. And such is the perverseness of these feminine that I may find it more difficult to induce one woman to do that for which she has no reason to blush than to cause fifty to compromise themselves irretrievably. I learnt my fate from Amy's own pale lips of very few days ago. I had called upon her in the evening, as usual, with the bouquet which I never failed to present her in my hand. When I entered the parlor, she was alone. The smile of welcome, the bounding step, and the meek embrace, which, Genevieve-like, she generally salutes me, to my astonishment, none of these now greeted my entrance. She was sitting upon an ottoman, at the further end of the room, she did not rise. She did not move a limb when she saw me. As I drew near her, the light-colored silk dress she wore, her remarkably fair hair, and her perfectly hueless face made her look like some beautiful statue. For a second I was awestruck. Yet you are perfectly well aware, Fred, I am not the man to lose my self-possession at trifles. I addressed her tenderly, and stooped to salute her colorless cheek. She stretched out her hand to repulse me, and fixed her unusually mild eyes upon my face. 
I could say what was their expression, whether full of scorn or pity or sorrow or despair. It might have been a mingling of all, but I would not have dared to touch her at that moment. I confess it. No, not if my salvation depended upon an embrace, but by Jove, she had never looked so charming before. I was excited, interested. I grew enamored while I stood almost trembling before her. She motioned me to take a seat. I did so. I made an attempt to say something. I forget what. But she silenced me with a look. Then she spoke herself. What a voice. Never before did the tone of a woman make me shudder. What she said I can no more tell you, though I heard every word, that I can repeat the books of Moses. The sum total was this. Evelyn has come to light. Some little unfortunate passages in my life in connection with the lovely runaway have been made known to Amy. My puritanical affiance chose to take my conduct in high dungeon. She made her own saintly anima adversions, interspersed with a few moral reflections upon my acts, and finally declined the honor of becoming my wife. Was there ever poor fellow maddened by a more unlucky accident than this? But by heavens, I like her better than ever, and I will not be cheated out of my rightful expectations in this matter. She loves me. She dotes on me as only these feminine creatures know how to dote. I will win her yet, or she is no daughter of Eve. Nothing pleases these demi-saints so well as the idea that they have reclaimed a rake, and she shall reform me to her heart's content. Then for fear that I shall fall into the evil way again, she must take me under her own protection. That evening was not the time to make much progress. I could say little, almost nothing. For, without giving me time to excopiate myself, she rose and glided like a shadow out of the room. But I have since dispatched her the most repentant letters, and every evening my accustomed bouquet is left anonymously at the door. The letters she returned in a blank envelope, but the bouquets she could not in the same manner refuse. If she did, I might choose to understand that she sent me a bouquet instead of returning my own, for from whence they came she cannot prove. I will see her soon, and trust me for the rest. Her heart is irrevocably mine. And women are not such fools as to die of longing when the fruit which they desire hangs ready to drop into their mouths. But I am rattling on, Fred, without acquainting you with the principal object of my letter. I am in such a confoundedly low water that I have commenced disposing of all my dispensable valuables to raise the wind. Lend us a hand in this dilemma, my fine fellow, and you will not be worse off for your good nature. Amy will most undoubtedly be mine, and as soon as the priest closes his prayer book, you will be repaid with interest. Six or seven hundred 
or a thousand dollars would, just at this moment, prove a very acceptable loan. In short, I do not see how I can do without it. So let me hear from you by return of post. Amy had not the complacence to inform me where I could find her rival, and to ask the whereabouts of the siren Evelyn would have been to make a rather hazardous inquiry. Where she has hidden herself, heaven only knows, but it is very evident that she has purposely kept this rod in a pickle for me. Then there is Claudine, another of my tormentors. A few days before the denouement, which I have mentioned, I had the felicity of meeting the little she-devil again. It chanced, too, that I was walking with Amy. Claudine looked wildly and menacingly at us both, and I fancied that she and Amy exchanged glances. But this, of course, was only a conceit of my own. Claudine's wrath is not to be feared. The serpent has certainly lost its fang, or its venom would have been darted out before now. Farewell, my most estimable and excellent friend. Be thou a friend in need. I await your answer, which you must dispatch without delay. You will do me a great service and relieve me from actual difficulties by obliging me with the loan. Enough said between friends. Yours very truly, Hubert Damarol. N.B. I have this instant received a curious note, which for its very address I shall copy verbatim for your benefit. Thus it runs. If Colonel Damarol desires again to behold Evelyn Merritt, he will call this afternoon at number blank, Grand Street, and inquire for the person who occupies the back chamber on the first floor. The question is, shall I go? I have no very high opinion of these anonymous communications, yet the temptation of beholding Evelyn is not so easily withstood. If I was sure of keeping myself out of harm's way, I should accept the invitation, especially as it is written in delicate female hand. There is now too much hazarded by every step that I take for me to decide hastily. After duly weighing the pro and con, I, I may go, and I may not. H.D. End of chapter 16